it's a lovely September morning and I'm here in my kitchen. Um, the animals are pottering around outside. I've made beetroot cake and pumpkin soup and Kate Bush is playing away on the radio so all is well in my world. Trisha is driving down for a visit. Um, Trisha and I go way back and she's a very dear friend to me. We live very different lives. She has a busy career and is a mother and has a very hectic lifestyle. But however, um, we do have some experiences that we share. Even though our lives are very different, um, we share one major experience the last while um, are in that our marriages are ending. Um, and about a year earlier this year, um, we decided that maybe we would actually document our divorces. Okay, it's, it's 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm going to make my way to Anne's house. It'll be nice and we'll have lunch together and spend a few hours catching up. I'm Patricia and that September morning I was driving to Anne's house. I've known Anne for about seven or eight years and we've become very good friends. We first met through work. Back then we were both still married. I was busy with little children and a career. Anne was working and studying and creating a home in the Irish countryside. Here I am driving through the countryside. The leaves are changing colour. It's beautiful. I love the autumn this time of year. Um, when I get to Anne's house, I know I'll be greeted by the sound of dogs, sheep, hens, goats, and I'm sure she'll have some lovely food prepared like she always does. She promised me some beetroot cake, which I've never had, so that should be nice, and maybe some pumpkin soup, but anyway, we'll see. That morning in September 2009, when I was going to Anne's for lunch, she had just recently got divorced. We had spoken on the phone, but it was my first time to visit her. We planned to record a conversation with each other, something we had been doing since the beginning of 2009. It's Tuesday the 13th of January. It's around 12.30. Um, I would have to say I am, at the beginning of this new year, already feeling a little anxious about what's to come. I'm four years on this path and I'm exhausted as I'm quite sure anybody who has been down this path fully understands. The last time you were in court I was there with some of your other friends so we were there from 10 I think until about 4 and we were lucky that time that we had a quiet room to wait in which is very unusual but the waiting and I was getting frustrated and angry on your behalf and you kept calm. Um, do you think is that because you've been there so many times and have you learned how to kind of handle the process? Well, I think it's a combination of both those things, Tricia. I have learnt how to become calm, even if it is a false kind of calmness. You literally just go down deep and go for it because, you know, your main aim is to get some sort of action that day. And I have been through it so many times. Got to court, as you did say, most unusually we were given a room because anybody who's been to family court knows the horror of the situation it's jam-packed there's hardly a seat nobody knows who's being called if you're being called nobody makes eye contact you perhaps you have issues with your ex-partner you're looking to see where are they or if they're coming so they it was a blessing to get the room and I was really grateful I know you very well now but when I first met you when I didn't really know you at all my perception of you was that you, you were this fairy tale couple living up in the wilderness, madly in love, 
and you'd ripen to me usually with some organic food or some homemade present and the way you spoke about your husband he was like some hero and when I met you both I can remember you walking along holding hands the two of you with your long flowing hair and it's interesting looking back now what a few years can do or how things can change or maybe your perception changes well that is interesting it's interesting who we become and what we do to make things work I think that's I mean I won't deny I was absolutely 100% invested in in love and in the concept of love and I think possibly whoever I signed up with would have got that part of me that whole part of me but yes I mean I was in love I wouldn't have stayed for for 20 years I was in love but at a huge huge cost a cost which I didn't recognize till really towards the end when when the cracks when Emmy came the cracks became craters what kept you hanging on in there you know that you didn't give up what you see in the beginning, the gl- whether it's a spark or a glimmer or a big br- bright light of love, what, 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 what causes you to fall in love? You're slow to let go of that. And it's not like it goes out completely. I mean, there are flashes of it, there are glimmers of it. God knows there was more reconciliations than a few in our situation. And you believe and you're hugely invested. And I, it's, it's interesting to examine. I, I didn't you know it was easy to blame it on things like the infertility like differences like poverty like I think you can talk yourself really you can talk yourself around a lot and I was I had become very isolated I had isolated myself and the image I put out there as you say was one of everything's fine here and I suppose it strikes me now from knowing you and have met your family how much they're part of your life now and the love that's there and I think it's really maybe would be nice for other people to hear how things can change and how you know the love can flow back in from another source it's been very interesting to me that when i withdrew the love or when the love died all my love was going in one place and when it shrank away from my marriage it opened up towards everybody who had blessed them essentially been waiting in the wings and essentially i would say i'm a strong person I'm, I'm not physically strong at the moment but I am I am st- I am a strong woman. you're the dark night you mentioned when I think of my dark night I can look up at the lights of Dublin and I think your dark night it frightens the life out of me because of where you live and there are no street lights or not even in the distance and this time of year a dark night can go on for a very long time could you explain to me what that's like or how you've survived that because I don't know if I could do it well, there's that kind of dark night, and then there's the internal dark night. I'm fine with the I'm fine with the with nature's dark night because there's a blanket of stars, and very often there's a huge moon that comes up at the back of my hill. And I I go out in my pajamas because the dogs go out for their last pee, and you know you hear the goats giving the odd man the shed. Nan, the sheep is around for one more rich tea biscuit if you're out. That, that, that's fine. You can hear that awful banshee-like wail of the fox in the back hill. Nothing of that frightens me. The dark night. Um, and I know that's not for everybody, but, but I, I, I love that. I, I love that. But the dark nights that I have been through since the separation and since becoming ill, they can last for weeks. And I have cried. I have cried loud, scary noises. 
you try and avoid going there. You want your mind and your, your reasoning to take you to the next level without having to get down into that deep, dark, difficult emotional place but you can't you can't get you've got to go through it to get past it and I remember one night um when just before the separation being on the couch at the time in the kitchen and it was quiet and it was dark and I just my heart was just broken I'm nearly at Anne's house now it's very remote there's grass growing up the middle of the road She's, her house is surrounded by forest it's very beautiful but very isolated really so it'd be lovely to see her, I've talked to her on the phone and she sounds a lot lighter and more relaxed but I could see she's holding back a bit because she's conscious of me waiting I suppose and still being in limbo so um, anyway it's a lovely day, it's a beautiful time of year so here we go Anne had, at last, got her divorce, but she knew that I still had no date and I felt she was being careful with me. That year had turned out to be a time of uncertainty for both of us, but we had responded in different ways. It's Tuesday the 13th of January, it's about half past one. It's very dark these mornings. It's funny to go out the door and see the... Well, it's not funny, but it's strange to go out the door and see full moon start running. And the only people I meet at that time of morning are the butchers. They're usually up and getting their shops ready for the day. But it helps me to think and relax and kind of get ready for the day ahead. And then go home and face the action for the next hour until everybody's fed and out to school with their lunches and hopefully going out relaxed and happy and looking forward to the day ahead. So in early 2009, now, Tricia, um, it's looking like you might have your first court date. How are you feeling about that? Um, well, today I'm feeling good about it. I, my first court date is coming up in the next two weeks. I just found out a few days ago, and initially it was a shock, to be honest, because I suppose you wait for something so long, you imagine what it's going to be like. And I went into my solicitor with a list of questions, and he handed me a court date with the address of the family law court and instructions on how to get there. And it took the wind out of my sails a bit. But I think I've learned from all this process, because... In the past, when I went to see my solicitor, he, he's out by the Botanic Gardens and I'd park in the car park of a pub, which was usually empty and a bit distressed looking after the previous night. And I'd come out in tears and just feel totally desolate. So this time I parked in the Botanic Gardens and I enjoyed the 10 minute walk to my solicitor, knowing that whatever happened, at least when I'd left his office, I could go to the gardens, admire the trees and maybe have a cup of coffee and gather my thoughts before I'd go off to meet my children from school because I've often been upset over the last number of years and wanted to crawl away into a hole and just forget about things but I've had to dry my eyes and arrive at the school gates laughing and smiling and trying to make small talk with other parents so maybe I've learned how to cope as I've gone on so when I got my court date my initial reaction was shock and I was thinking of my children really and that it was going to probably be one of the most significant days in their lives when their parents got divorced and that they'd be before and after from then on. But um, I phoned loads of people when I came out. I phoned some of my friends and I phoned my brother. And so many people offered to come to the court with me, which was really nice. But I, And it was something I'd often thought about, who would I bring to court with me? And I've decided really the best thing is to go on my own because I don't want... I suppose I don't want to hurt my husband, really. I don't want to turn up there with 
support gang, which women often tend to have more than men, and to see perhaps he mightn't have the same gang with him. So um, I decided to go on my own. And um, I know it'll be nerve-wracking, and I've been in court a lot because of previous work I did, but um, I'm, I just think I need closure and I need to move on, and I feel strong enough to deal with whatever will come out of it. I haven't seen Anne really since the beginning of the summer. I've been busy with the children. Um, then we moved house and then everyone settled back into school and I'm at work and it's busy. But uh, a lot has changed, I suppose. I've moved so things are a lot more settled. For the most of 2009, even though we were moving towards divorce, my husband and I shared the same house. I still don't know when I'm going to get a divorce, but it looks as if I'll have a court date sometime in the winter. So hopefully by the end of the year, things will be resolved. As I was driving to Anne's that morning, I knew things were changing. That autumn had a sense of movement, different to the limbo of spring. I'm sitting in my living room now. It's um, the end of winter, coming up to the spring. I'm looking out the window and um, it's quiet at the moment, but normally from you know three o'clock on, it's hectic in this house. The two younger ones are home from primary school and they might have four or five friends with them. The dogs are barking, um, different types of music. There's rap competing with rock and roll. There's drum practice. There's bass guitars with the amps on full. There's a football being kicked around the place and I'm screaming in the middle of it. Um, then there's dinner and homework and maybe scouts or swimming or whatever is on. And then there's other evenings maybe that their father is here and I'll, just, I'll carry on as normal, but we kind of move around one another. Um, I never really watch television, so he might be in the television room or in the room with the television with the children. I might be downstairs playing drafts with somebody. So um, we just really avoid one another. It's like a dance, I suppose. You call it a domestic dance and there's no, um, there's no, there's no argument like that. And people come in, they think we're a very loving family, and say, "No, what's wrong with you? you know, why are you breaking up? You look, you look very happy together." But um, a friend in Cork described as the Hillary and Bill approach. And I suppose it's just you learn to um, live separate lives within the same house. You learn avoidance techniques, um, and there's no arguments, there's no ill will, or there's no shouting or anything like that. It's just basically just working around somebody. And it's probably just like two adults sharing a house. But my concern is the children are learning to think this is normal behaviour for a couple. And it's not the environment I grew up in. I grew up in a very loving environment. Even then, um, my parents died in their 70s. And there was, my father was still buying my mother flowers and giving her Valentine's cards. And she'd sit in his lap and they'd say every day it was like a honeymoon. That might sound a bit gushy, but you know there were people who met when they were 16 and lived through very hard times and, and didn't have any, you know, financial resources but there was loads of love and I can see that in my brothers in particular that um, they have that romance and I suppose maybe that's what I was looking for. Um, I was supposed to be in court this morning for the first time and I suppose it was a bit like training for a marathon I was psyched up and I was trying to relax beforehand and keep my energy and it took a lot of uh, organisation. I was meant to go on a trip to Spain for the beginning of a, an international research project and I had to opt out of that and someone else was going instead of me. And I, was, I also had uh, about 600 students I was meant to teach today and I had to rearrange those lectures. So it took a lot of organisation. And then yesterday, just 24 hours or less than 24 hours before the date, my solicitor phoned me to say that it would have to be adjourned. 
In a way, I was relieved because the last thing in the world I wanted to do was go into court and face the man I've been living with for 25 years. We met when we were both around 19 and we knew another for a year before we started going out together. And we met in a rowing club. We were both members of a rowing club. We met in the weights room and um, we were friends for a year and then started going out together. And I suppose I would have said it was love at first sight. I don't know how he'd feel. And we were young. I mean, looking back now, I thought we were young at the time. You don't feel that. And I'd very much see our relationship in terms of 80s Ireland at the time we met because when we left college, we emigrated. And I think that's maybe the two of us. We left our families, our communities, our countries, so that in a way, you know, when you're in a young relationship like that without family support, it becomes a very specific type of relationship. So um, I suppose I'd bear that in mind looking back that we were young, idealistic, got off to London, it was a big adventure. But yes, it's not an easy thing to be an immigrant. But I suppose I think I'd like to believe that love is eternal and that, you know, that love doesn't die, but just that different challenges come your way. I suppose things change over time, maybe. And when you're young and you're in a relationship, you have plenty of time to put into a relationship. If you're bored or sad or miserable, you can go to the cinema or go for a meal or something. But then once you have a career and you've got children, you kind of peel away all of that distractions and you have to deal with the reality. So I, 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 I don't think love dies, but I think you can kill it and maybe kill it by neglect. I'm nearly at Anne's house now. What was I say? As, as I get closer, I'm sure I'll hear her animals and she'll be at the gate to greet me. There she is now, I can see her. Hi Anne, it's lovely to see you. started off on this journey. This time last year you came down in your skinny tyre with no spare wheel. Today you came down with no petrol. I know. Will I ever learn? My gear, my um, gear stick came away in my hand. But anyway, it's nice to be here and it's lovely to see the place looking so well and you look really well. And your nice orange mm -hmm. jumper matches your pumpkins I see up on top of the mm -hmm. dresser. What are they? Pumpkins, little Japanese organic pumpkins. Right. <laughs> so are all the animals and everything else? Good, they're great. I've eight chickens now. Right. And the dogs are great. And Nan, the sheep, is shorn. I saw her. She looks lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And the goats are themselves. So yeah. all is well. The cat is just ignoring us. Yeah. So it's been an eventful year for you, hasn't it? It has. And you. Yeah. Well, more eventful for you, I think. But no, this time last year, I remember you ready like waiting for court dates and getting all your documentation together and here we are now and reaping more than one type of harvest yeah thank god yeah it's all done and dusted and put to bed um four years on yeah so i'm here and i know i can stay here and that's a huge relief after such well anybody that goes through this knows huge stress but 
there is life after divorce. Well, that's good. So how are you going? You've moved house? I'm fine, yeah. we Myself and the children moved on the 1st of September. And I suppose it was, in a way, it was a busy time to move because school started and all the rest of it. And But it's grand. We're three weeks later now. We're settling down and life goes on. It's hectic, but I think it's hectic because, you know, family, children all different ages with hormones raging and all sorts to carry on. But no, it's good. And, you know, it just feels like normality. And I suppose I, I the way I feel about it, when a marriage is dead, you just have to leave it die and move on or otherwise it just rots around you mm-hmm. and I think that ours was just it was time you know to have separate households and yeah. hopefully you know in the not too distant future we'll you know come to some agreement and sort everything out and get on with our lives all of us but um no I'm happy anyway and you know we're fine good yeah and how do you juggle it all with work and well, I, th- I suppose in a way of, you know, I think anyone with children is juggling everything, you know, so that hasn't changed much, to be honest. Um, it's interesting because a friend asked me the other day if she'd come with me on the day for support. And I suppose I, I don't know, because sometimes, you know, you feel strong on your own or yeah. you'd want to... You need, I found, because, well, you were there with me several times and I had been so many times and my sister was always there and it is it's wonderfully supportive but essentially you're on your own you're in you're plugged into a different wavelength but i think they're great support for each other yeah as well as you but you're sort of it's like you're the person ready to go in for the surgery yeah, it's your you're, battle yeah, yeah it is it's different but yeah this so is I suppose amazing. there's tangible support like that like yeah and then there's more emotional support yeah. as well yeah 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 because i suppose what i would say to my friend was i felt what would help me most is to know my kids were safe and yeah. secure because yeah. if i'm don't have to worry about them then i'm fine yeah so maybe the support i need would be someone to mind them for the day yeah. or whatever yeah but, uh, but i suppose i've learned a lot from your experience waiting outside the court and yeah the, the kind happening. of helplessness you yeah. feel yeah and my own experience in the past going for negotiations and nothing happening and organizing my whole week around it and yeah. Yeah. really and that is the system i mean they do in fairness warn you about that when you embark yeah. but you don't really you can't conceive of it you think well it seems straightforward and but you know I mean my solicitor said to me it could be four years you could be getting your divorce before this is sorted and yeah. I thought she was definitely crazy yeah. but they work in the system they know it's slow it's protracted it's disappointing particularly if you're outside Dublin and you have to wait for another three months to see are yeah. you on the list will you be called so you learn to handle disappointment but then what, what can, you've got to get psyched up you've got to be ready I mean I knew two minutes before that I was being brought in to be heard and being put on the stand Yeah. two minutes so you've got to dig deep and you've got to go I mean it's a very arduous system I mean if there's any other way and there's that possibility of collaborative law where you work and agree to work together and never have to go to court yeah. I mean that definitely um, needs to be promoted more. This, this, it's hugely stressful. This system. It's costly. If you're not legally aided, it's hugely costly, and it's a few years out of your life where the love you started off with in your relationship is completely forgotten about and abandoned, and yeah. that's sad. Yeah, I, I'm conscious. I'm sitting here this time, 19 years ago. I was getting ready to be married because yeah. it's my wedding anniversary next week. Yeah, and who's it? No, and there you're preparing like for divorce, yeah. and 
They're both big events. You know, one is like the beginning, the other is the end. But well, at least with a wedding, you can plan it and you know the date. But with a divorce, it seems to be someone else or the system dictates the pace. Well, it does. And my legal team used to say to me, and it was a fair comment constantly, nobody starts off in love and married and thinking it's going to go this way. Yeah. And even though you have to dig in and you've got to fight your corner and you've got to argue for what's yours, it's hard to not be saddened nobody wants it to go sour or to go bad and she would have said to me my sister that you know the most a dignity the most dignity can be afforded by each party to the other party she promotes that and I I I respect that and it's one thing I took away that from my own situation that uh, not too much was said that wasn't true and honest and respectful and that's something that maybe it's a small thing to hold on to because like when you when there was love there was always love or we wouldn't have been there or been married it's more with hindsight when i think this time last year I was waiting to be called. This time last year, such and such and such and such happened. Sometimes it's only when I walk up the road and I look in and I think, it's all over, I'm here. This is my home that my heart just lifts. I mean, that's when I feel it. Or, you know, when I look at the animals pottering around or I'm pottering around and I think, it's it's over now. It's sorted because for years I lived in, will I be able to stay? Where will I go? How will I start again? It is dramatic, well, the nature of it, I was thinking about it, I mean, I, I, I was in so many courts. You know, you hear so many stories and this happens and that happens, but um, when you tell your story and you are listened to, it was, it was amazing to me how a lot of dross is dredged through and the kernel of the issue is gotten to. And it was very respected and I found that hugely affirming and it, it, it restored my faith in so many things. Sometimes the other day in my handbag I found these little orange beads and I had a flashback to the day in the high court because they were my stress beads, my prayer beads and I was flying around them on the box and they burst and they went everywhere and after I got down the court clerk I was what are these? And everybody was picking up my stress beads and I found a few of them the other day and I thought, you know, n- nobody's cut out for that amount of stress. Yeah. You know your way now from here? Yeah, yeah straight in front. I do my way here too, but it doesn't make any difference. Bye. Driving away from Anne that day, waving goodbye, it was lovely to see her in her own home with you know her divorce behind her, knowing that she was happy and she was moving on. And that was lovely. But then I was also looking ahead okay. to my own divorce, which I was still waiting for and wondering what the outcome divorce. would be. Bye. Driving home, I suppose, I was thinking to myself what was going to lay ahead. When would I have a court date? When would my divorce be completed? And what would be the outcome? And it was strange. Just at the end of the autumn, I went to court. Looking back on it now, when the divorce happened, it was quick, 
all of a sudden. It was a very wet day when I got divorced. I, I was just tired. I'd been up since five o'clock that morning. It was had been lashing rain, and I just thought this is it. So you go into the family law court, and I don't know if you're used to being in court, but you go in, you judge, you bow generally to the judge. Everyone bows to the judge as a matter of, because I worked in the courts before, so I'd be familiar with bowing to judges. And the man and woman who obviously were loved ones and that did all sorts of things together, sitting behind their legal teams, you know, staring straight ahead. The judge basically goes through the, the contract you've made and discuss maintenance and whatever rate right, custody and access and then um, if he's any issues he'll stop but um, in our case it was straightforward so he said he granted the decree of divorce and he wished he wished us both best of luck for the future which is kind of funny to hear that you know and then everyone leaves and I suppose some couples leave together some leave without looking at one another you know we kind of went our separate ways with our legal teams and um then you walk off into the street and it's down in um, well in Dublin it's down by Smithfield and you walk off and you're walking down by the Liffey and, and there you are after you know could be 10, 20, 30 years whatever and that's I suppose it's very significant and the big thing it's like coming off an exam or anything you're exhausted I think mentally and emotionally and what I found was it's difficult even to know who to turn to or who to talk to. And now I had been up since really early that morning. I was hungry, so I went and had my breakfast in the afternoon. And then I went to the cinema and slept because I just was too tired to go home. But um, it is strange. And I felt what really... The kind of things that go through your head is who will you phone, who will you tell, you know, or who... Because you're kind of too tired to talk to people as well. And people want details and you'd have all these messages. So it's difficult. And there is grief there is letting go and for a lot of people there's mourning and it's even looking at your like one of the children said to me I saw your wedding photographs and like you don't cancel out your wedding it's not that it's just you've reached a different stage of your life and I suppose what I felt that you would know there's no more need to be argued or whatever that we'd sort things we come to an agreement and we're moving on and that maybe we could start being good parents from now on you know that it's, it's kind of just a different chapter I think I talked to Anne that evening on the phone because I knew she was waiting to hear from me. She had been as anxious about my divorce almost as I had. She felt she only had a half a divorce kind of because she knew I was waiting for her and she was very stressed out. But um, I couldn't get out to her. And then I went, but I didn't tell her I was coming because she killed herself cooking if she's having visitors. So I just arrived and um, it was lovely. Both of us were exhausted. But what, what was really nice, she gave me a present of a rocking chair. And she said she had two rocking chairs. And I was saying to myself, why did I ever get myself a rocking chair? And I think that was part of being married. You know, when you're with someone, maybe they'll say, I'll get you a rocking chair. Or, and it never happens. And I thought, God, why didn't I buy myself a rocking chair? Like, they're not that expensive. And I think this rocking chair for me, it's in the middle of the room. Now, I haven't been up sitting because the kids are all sitting on it. But um, to me, the rocking chair was kind of, it's kind of a new me. Like, I could roll in that rocking chair. But I could have had a rocking chair for the last 40 years and I never got one. So it's kind of interesting things that, you know, affect you. She sent me off a rocking chair and 10 eggs from the hens. And um, actually, it was the first day. It was first November. It was the first day of winter. And we watched the sun go down together. And we were saying that it was really nice. And we were just saying, like, we'd come a long way, really. And we were, and we just kind of felt, thanks, Peter. Jesus, it's all over, you know.
If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.